to the inside. Second from the left is where Dalila Muhammad is. Dalila there in lane four. Like I told you, she gets out strong every single time. There is something to be said about the consistency of your first 200 of the 400 meter hurdles, and she gets it right every single time. She'll want to model that through every round, and she'll hope that she'll be able to back off and save for the next two rounds. Yeah, she'll alter her st step pattern a little bit here because it is just a first round, and she does not want to be all the way on the gas, but she's given herself a little bit of work, but with the strength that she's shown us, this is not a problem for the reigning Olympic champ. Echeverria of Cuba runs in second. Sprunger, who got out to a really good start out in lane nine, she's got some work to do. Remember, it's only the top four who get that automatic qualification. On the inside is Krafzik, the German, who moves to second. Sprunger comes back. Muhammad wins it in 53.98. A comfortable victory, similar to Sydney <laughs> McLaughlin. No problem there. And Krafzik, the German, she qualifies as well. Almost a carbon copy of what... Sydney McLaughlin did to win her opening heat. I had my eyes on Sprunger the entire race. She was so close to the line in lane nine as she was coming down the final part of the race. It was crazy. But like you mentioned, did uh, Dalila Muhammad looking really comfortable when she uh, came into the final hurdles here of her first round run, much like Sydney McLaughlin. Both of these ladies have so much experience when it comes to running rounds. And she looks really good and ready for the semi. You mean Sprunger grabbed your attention, maybe a lane violation? You thought she might have stepped inside, you mean? Or what, what, what? It can't be a lane violation if it's in the home straightaway. No, it wasn't a lane violation, but she was just so close to her competition on the inside, almost as if they were pulling gotcha. her in. Here's the family reacting back in New York to Dalila Muhammad's victory. No problem. <laughs> and they too are pacing themselves. Not too much exuberance <laughs> now. It's just the first round. They'll save that for the semi. And if she makes it, the final. So the defending champ is one step closer to the Olympic final with 53.97 to win her heat. And all three women from Team USA, Anna Cockrell, Sydney McLaughlin, and Dalila Muhammad, automatically advancing and qualifying for Monday's semi-final. Start and you're out. The policy has been in the end. 
Legion system in the USA for many, many years. It's only adopted internationally by track and field athletics. What about 20 years ago now? But for many, mark. many years, one full stop was allowed. Of course, it slowed up programs, mapped up everybody who's got tight TV schedules. And quite rightly, one full start now is unforgivable. Heat two then. Kenny Harris, world record holder, goes in lane six for the USA. At last, she starts an Olympic race. trouble at all for the world record holder that is uh, one box ticks for the 28 year olds hard to believe isn't it that she broke the world record at 23 has to wait till she's 28 to step on the olympic track alicia and that is the nature of this sport sometimes it's like that especially when you're working on quads every four years is your opportunity at another chance at a medal time doesn't wait for anybody Liz Clay, the Australian, second in 12.87. It is the first four who go through to the semis, remember. Bolliolo, third, 12.93. Right over in lane uh, two. Yeah. Sisters in arms, second and third, Clay and Bolliolo, respectively. Both relieved. And Elvira Herman, the European champion from Belarus, fourth, 12.95. So quick between the barriers, get that lead leg over the barrier, slap it down onto the track and drive for the next uh, barrier. Wonderful technician. Skied that final barrier a little bit, I think, but wins by a meter. Huge on the win in the bag. Presses through to the uh, next round. Semi-finals are tomorrow evening. Sydney McLaughlin, lane five, center of your screen. Sydney will want to work on continuing to push this first part of the race hard, like I mentioned, and set this race up 
to be able to cruise coming home. All the athletes will have to run three rounds, but whoever can put out the least energy in the first two rounds will have the best run in the final. Jesse Knight of Great Britain hit the first hurdle and fell. So this is all Sydney McLaughlin. She's got a nice lead now with about 150 to go. She has so much speed and reserve lead that she can be way, way, way off the gas here and still look, look at how comfortable she yeah. looks. She can hurdle with either leg and she has lots of speed. That's why she's just bouncing around this track and not being concerned with anybody right now. Look at this. This is a nice warm-up run, so to speak, for Sydney McLaughlin. She is cruising. 51.9 is her world record. Look at the clock, 54.65. That was more than comfortable. I got you see why we think that we're going to get another world record here? Because <laughs> that was phenomenal. Yeah, and there's nothing like stepping on the track for the first round when you feel like you are ready to run really fast. It is the best feeling in the world when you can go around the track unbothered and execute easily to be able to go through to the next round. Yeah, I mentioned that Knight hit hurdle one and fell pretty badly. We're going to give you a look at exactly what happened. She's in lane two on the inside. Just look at how, look at what actually went on here. This is the very first hurdle. Oh. Oh, wow. She tripped oh. before she even got to the hurdle. Wow. She didn't even take off. No. But it looked like she was breaking up right before she got there as though she was either coming too fast into the hurdle or something went terribly oh. wrong, but she never even got off the ground to attempt to take the first hurdle. Yeah, and she is the British champion, so a lot was expected of her, but we flashed you back now to a couple minutes ago, and look at how comfortable Sydney McLaughlin is. You talked about maybe Anna Cockrell looking a little heavy in her form, not bouncing off of the track. Sydney McLaughlin is getting all the bounce out of this track. That's as easy as you will see somebody run round one. And just spare a thought for Jesse Knight, the British champion, whose Tokyo 2020 Olympics are going to end before she even clears a hurdle. That's a tough break for her. No great surprises there with the world record holder advancing through in first place. Gianna Woodruff of Panama joins her. And there's Sarah Slot Pedersen and Leah Nugent are the four with the automatic qualifications through. like um simone is supposed to do an aminara which is a yurchenko two and a half so from when her hands leave the table and when she lands she does a two and a half twist she does a one and a half so basically ha! <laughs> a that's crazy b we're watching it slowed down now the reason why i know that she did a one and a half i know for those watching you may not understand what that looks like um you may say like it looks like she did a two and a half this is a one and a half. We can tell that she gets lost in the air. She is twisting here. So right now she does a half. Okay. She's going. She finishes. This is the full, right? Full. And she opens up. And you see her head looking to the right. She's twisting to the right. It looked like she wanted to keep twisting, but had opened up and gotten lost in the air. The fact that she landed while getting lost in the air is incredible, first of all. Right. Second of all, this is not something that we've seen from her. Um, it could be something that's happening during practice, but we... we... our city is ready for leadership 
um, that has uh, unique perspectives. So my lived experience is very different than the 54 mayors, mayors that have come before me, mm. uh, for, for sure. Uh, and I bring that lens. I bring that unique lens as a woman. I bring that lens as, as a woman of color. That was Kim Janney, who will be sworn in tomorrow as the next mayor of Boston. She will become the first woman and the first black person to ever lead the city. This month, we're celebrating women, and we have a lot of milestones like that to be proud of. The U.S. has its first woman and person of color as vice president. Women leaders like New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern are doing a better job at responding to the COVID crisis. And for the first time, two women received the Nobel Prize for Chemistry, which is really dope. But we can't forget that men built the system and gender remains a barrier to total equality. Women still make only 82 cents for every dollar a man makes. And despite being over half of the population, a fact I like to repeat often, women only make up 27% of Congress. But as activist and feminist Gloria Steinem puts in her International Women's Day op-ed, we just need to keep going. Steinem has been part of the fight for equality for decades. She was the founder of the National Women's Political Caucus and one of the driving forces behind the creation and passage of the Equal Rights Amendment, which just repassed in the House without an expiration date. And joining me now is feminist icon Gloria Steinem. I am so excited that you are here today. How are you doing today? I'm so excited to see you, and I'm so grateful for that segment that you just did on gun control. I mean, that is such a gender Thank you issue. so much. Right. No. Absolutely. I, you know, I, Absolutely. I think this figures in, in a way, to our subject because I think this is a very good moment for a gun buyback program uh, because uh, women have been very clear, many women, that they want to get guns out of the house and to be able to offer money for them, as some police departments are doing, is very helpful. Absolutely. So in terms of those policies, you mentioned a gun buyback program. What are some of the other policies that you think really need to um, be implemented or passed by this particular Congress in the wake of the shootings that we've seen in the past week? Hmm. Well, I do think from a philosophical point of view that we need to point out who the shooters are. Uh, I mean, I watched all the <laughs> reports of the men who invaded the Capitol, and very few said, hello, these are white guys. I mean, and every single mass shooting has been uh, committed by a white male. Now, you know, that's certainly not to demonize all white men, but I think it does tell us that what we are doing is too often is talking about women catching up with men instead of men catching up with women and uh, just challenging the gender and the race roles at the base. That is such an important point, and you've talked so much in the past about the need to democratize the family as the basis to really get a full democracy in our country um, because our gender, no, our, our gender roles are established 
uh, people are very much, um, you know, especially on the Republican side, they want the quote unquote traditional family. How can we upend that? Because I, I find that as an older millennial, I'm almost 40 um, and I, I'm independent, I'm unmarried, I don't have any kids. Um, and I think there's a lot of women my age, I know in my friend group, who are trying to sort of lay out their own path, you know, not be con confined to the expectation of marriage and children um, that, that we've, you know, been, that have been prescribed for us. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I think that that's changed a lot. I mean, I am exactly in your situation and I'm happy. <laughs> I just want to say, uh, and in my generation, the idea that you had to marry and have children and take his name and his identity and so on was way stronger than it is right now. So, you know, we, we have truly made change. But I think while women have advanced, it's not necessarily that men have advanced too. I mean, if children have two parents, there's this revolutionary idea that men should take care of them 50% of the time. Uh, and, you know, women are so aware of this. I remember being in, in a lecture where a, a woman stood up, you know, apparently shy woman, and she said, you know, when my husband leaves his underwear on the floor, I find it quite useful to nail it to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, struggle. Uh, going on, and it, it, that's not at all minute, it's the most basic, because the single biggest indicator of whether a country will go to war against another country is actually not poverty or border conflicts or oil or the things we read about, it is violence in the family. Uh, that, you know, Absolutely. sort of hierarchical, that is what normalizes violence. If we see that in the family, uh, we come to think it's inevitable. So if we want to, I mean, it is the key to world peace, not to be, you know, but it is. Uh, but we don't, we, we I think, still um, compartmentalize women's issues as if they weren't, and racial issues too, as if they weren't connected to absolutely everything else. So speak, speak to that connection and that intersection, because I think, especially in this moment in 2021, we've, we've lived in a, through a pandemic, or we, we are living through a pandemic. We're surviving a pandemic. Most people haven't done that. I, I think there's one woman that was here for 1918. I think they did find the one person. Um, so, so it's all unprecedented. But at the same time, there are issues that have been you know, we've been dealing with for decades. Um, and that's why I think you saw, you know, the racial reckoning through the summer. So speak to the intersection and that connection between the fight for racial justice and the fight for gender equality, because they are so connected. No, in, in a very fundamental way, they're intertwined because you can't maintain racial differences without controlling women's bodies as the means of reproduction. I mean, you know, look at the long history of racist laws against so-called miscegenation uh, and the uh, punishment, terrible punishment, ridiculous punishment for black men who had any contact uh, with white women. And, you know, 
th that race and sex are intertwined and there's no way to uproot one without also up uprooting the other. Um, I think also we see this in the activism of black women. I mean, look at the last election. You know, I mean, black women are way more uh, active and, and uh, you know, right on the issues than, than either white women or black men. So just statistically speaking, right? Uh, and, and I think- I know, I was like, we, yeah. We're fighting for everybody. <laughs> right, yeah, and I you think because the experience is there, you know, the understanding is there. Absolutely, so I wanna turn now to some of the news that's been in the headlines lately. You know, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is under fire and there were multiple investigations are, uh, he's under investigation for multiple allegations, excuse me, for sexual, of sexual harassment. What are, your, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you think he should resign? Um, and what are your feelings about how he's reacted to the allegations? Because I also think there's, there's a teachable moment there as well for men who are accused of this type of misconduct. Well, I, I would just say to him that it's perfectly clear that the most a uh, helpful thing you can do for yourself if you are guilty is to say you are guilty, tell the truth, apologize, and take whatever action is appropriate. Now, everyone is entitled to an investigation. You know, that's true too. So um, that, that should go forward. But the great sign of progress here is that the women have come forward. I mean, those uh, acts would have been not only thought to be inevitable, but blamed on women in the recent past. You know, why were you there alone with him in the office? What were you wearing? You know, so uh, I'm so grateful to the massive Me Too movement, which has uh, helped to change this. And it hasn't been that long. I mean, I remember when the word sexual harassment, the phrase was invented. You know, that was only in the 70s and it was women at Cornell University who were trying to describe what happened to them at their summer jobs. And then it was uh, written into sex discrimination law and, and three women, I think all black women, brought the first cases. Uh, and then there was Anita Hill. You know, I mean, this is the, you can see uh, the, um, the progression. So, you know, we have come a long way towards understanding that the basis of democracy is bodily integrity. Either we have control yes. over our own physical selves and male or female, no one can touch us without, out, not just permission, I would say, which is a kind of low level, but unless it's welcome, that's a wonderful word, right? right. Unless it's welcome. Yeah, I like that, welcome, exactly. Um, you partnered with Google, Google Arts and Culture on a new project called A Home for a Movement. Tell us about this project and why you decided to do it. You know, I'm so proud of this uh, project because uh, we need, especially as women, spaces to meet and to feel safe. Uh, and, you know, ironically, because I've been living in the same couple of floors in a brownstone for half a century or more, uh, it has been used at that space, as that kind of space. 
you know, people come and stay overnight or we have meetings or so. So it, it occurred to me, and especially to Amy Richards, who's my colleague, that we could continue this. And I have left my uh, apartment to a foundation, so it will be there uh, forevermore, so people can continue to use it in this way. I mean, you know, sometimes I think it's just because I don't want to think about moving, <laughs> but... <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> um, and it's very it's deeply, also, very deeply. It's 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 also a way of preserving not only space but particular items that are meaningful. If I came to your house, there would be things there that I inspired me, right? So, uh, yes, you know, absolutely. We, Right. We, we can we can do that for each other. And also, we are communal animals as human beings. I mean, we have always been sitting around a campfire telling our stories, and we need uh, uh, places to do that. So I'm very, very proud that, um, you know, that my apartment will continue to be used in that way. It's really amazing. Gloria Steinem, thank you so much uh, for taking the time today and for being here. And happy early birthday. Um, that is exciting as well. Please stay thank safe. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad to see you. And I hope we Good actually meet. Okay. All right. <laughs> yes. We will see. We'll meet again. Yes.